You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Like most of us, equate Christmas and music together. So I want you to think for a moment, do you have a favorite Christmas hymn or song? Anybody, favorite Christmas hymn or song? What? Mary, did you know? I like Hark the Herald Angels. I'll sing you. No, I'm not going to sing. Any, anyone else favorite Christmas song or hymn? First Noel. First Noel. All right, so if you like music and you like Christmas, you should be very interested in Luke's gospel because within the first two chapters, he fills it with four sometimes called Advent songs or Christmas canticles. Now, the word canticle simply means... A, a hymn of praise that has a scriptural text that often then is incorporated into a worship service. Uh, and so you probably know the four songs I'm referring to. Often they have Latin titles given to them. Uh, there's the Benedictus, the song of Zechariah at the news and birth of John the Baptist. Uh, there's the song of the angels as they announce Christ's birth, the heavenly host, uh, the Gloria in Excelsis. Then there's also the song of Simeon called Nunc Benedictus. And then the song of Mary taken from that first word when she says, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, the Magnificat. So it's the Magnificat. It's this song of Mary in particular that, that we want to look at this morning with the thought of Advent being a call for praise and for worship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And my goal this morning would be that not only will we discover that this song of Mary, this Christmas canticle, is, is not only unique to Mary, and you could argue as well to Elizabeth, who joins in the celebration, um, Not only is it unique to them, but I hope to demonstrate and prove that this should be our song too. That that we have a right to sing this song with the same amount of celebration and excitement. Uh, So notice as you turn to Luke chapter 1, the song itself begins in verse 46. But we're going to back up to verses 39 through 45. And what we're going to do is look at three parts of this particular song. Uh, The first part has personal praise, unique to Mary and unique to Elizabeth. But then the second part gives us the object of praise. What is the source of which we're praising? And then finally it comes around at the very end to corporate praise. So let's start off with looking at simply personal praise. Uh, And so you notice in verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. I don't know how you are on a Monday morning as you're getting ready for work, uh, but I'm assuming that sometimes you might be running a little behind schedule, and so you're a little hectic. You're racing around the house trying to get out the door. Well, Luke's way of saying that Mary got ready and hurried is his way of, of conveying to us she got up quickly and took off to get to Elizabeth that she had received news, not only was she going to carry the Messiah, but her relative was 
six months pregnant, and she's expecting. And this is one of Luke's favorite phrases, this thought of got ready and hurried. He uses a word more often, just simply says arose, which means to move quickly. Why does Mary move so quickly? Well, I think it reflects her excitement, not just that this older relative is expecting, which is a miracle in itself, but that this is all the promises of God coming into play to be fulfilled. That his plan of salvation, she and Elizabeth are going to play a part in God's work in that. But you notice as well as you think it goes on and mentions here that she got up and right away. This is a three to four day trip for Mary. This is not just going around the corner. Uh, three to four days, about 80 miles to travel to Judea. But then as Luke tells this account, we move from just that quick glimpse of, of Mary's reaction to Elizabeth's praise. And so if you look at verse 41 through 45, you have here Elizabeth's excitement when Mary shows up. Again, think of not just the surprise here. This is before email, FaceTime, texting. Mary suddenly shows up. But you notice what Elizabeth does, verse 41 as well as verse 44. She repeats twice, the baby leaped in my womb. Now, it's a very interesting expression. And, and you'll notice throughout this, if you took the time to look at this song, there's a lot of Old Testament language in it. In other words, which would indicate that Mary knew her Old Testament. Because this phrase, leaped for joy, is also found in the book of Genesis to talk about Jacob and Esau when they're in the womb. They're, they're kind of tr tremendous movement and activity. So here you have a reference to something that is key in Israel's history in the past. Now just kind of thrown in there that even from Elizabeth, she says, this child leaped in my womb. And she is filled with the Holy Spirit. Then notice in verse 42, it says, In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now, probably for Christmas, many of you might be with family, friends, uh, and I think you know how it goes. You get a bunch of people together. They're all sort of glad to see each other. Um, voices can get pretty loud. Uh, I'm anticipating when my kids come, uh, I'll be down in my office trying to study, and I will be able to hear loud voices, voices full of excitement. Well, this characterizes Elizabeth. She is thrilled, not just at the news and arrival of Mary, but, but God's plan coming together, all these different promises. Notice, though, what she also says Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In other words, we often think of the first outright confession of Christ as Lord was Peter's. But is it possible that actually Elizabeth's confession here is the first outright confession? Notice what she says. How is it possible that the mother of not the Lord, but my Lord has come. 
In other words, a recognition that she too needed a savior, one who would pay the cost for her sins. And then in verse 45, she repeats, blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Twice in this song, at least Mary's initial reaction, or excuse me, Elizabeth's reaction, you have the reference to blessed, to be spoken well of. But we'll come back to this in a moment because this can also be misunderstood. What does it mean that Mary is blessed? She's spoken well of. Well, now we come back to Mary's offer of praise. And that takes us to verses 46 through 48. Notice her song begins and says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So notice the first part of this song, expression of praise. And this does not necessarily mean that this song erupted at that moment. It may have been as Mary reflected on these things during the at least three months that she stayed with Elizabeth until the birth of, we can assume, John the Baptist. But notice that reference in her song, my soul and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I don't know about you, but if you could go back in time and look at some of the things you said as maybe a 14, 15, 16-year-old, would probably some of it sound pretty immature? Would you probably be pretty embarrassed if it was put up on a screen for everyone to see? Keep in mind that although we don't have a specific age given, Mary is probably only maybe 13 to 15 years old. And you look at the wisdom that she says when she says, my soul and my spirit rejoice in God. Basically, when you say soul and spirit, you're not necessarily indicating two completely different areas, but, but you're emphasizing all of me, all of my understanding, all of my affections. Shout out and glorify God. And then you look closely here. I mentioned that there's different titles that come right out of the Old Testament, which would have been Mary's Bible at that time. Because look closely at some of the titles that she references there in verse 46 and 47. She says, in God, my Savior, my Lord. Those are straight out of the Old Testament. That is one reason why we read that opening prayer of Hannah from 1 Samuel 2. Mary is pulling out of that prayer, these titles, as well as you have references that would also come out of the book of Habakkuk, another prophet in Israel's past, who during his lifetime saw many things happening and questioned, Lord, how long is this going to go on? And in a sense, for Mary and Elizabeth, there's an answer here. How long? The Savior's coming. That promise for centuries you're going to see fulfilled. Notice in verse 48, as she shares her praise, personal praise, of experiences she's had, in verse 48 she says, He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. 
the phrase or word mindful means looked at, attentively at. He, he's paid attention to not just the situation of the world. He, he's paid attention to, to my needs, to who I am. None of us want to feel as if we go through our week and nobody notices anything about us. Mary says, God has been mindful of my humble state. And often that word humble, when it comes out of the Old Testament, points to times in life when maybe you have been oppressed or persecuted or there's trials or difficulties. As much as Mary rejoices, remember that this pregnancy, this child she will carry as a result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her, is not trendy at this time in history. This is not popular to be an unwed mother. And she doesn't know how is all of this going to play out in her life. But she's confident if God has been mindful of me, he will also be with me throughout this step in his plan. And you have, once again, in that phrase, language that comes out of other places in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, the book of Genesis, and 1 Samuel again. In other words, Mary's mind is, is seeped in a knowledge of God's Word, which maybe would say to us, if we have a problem finding opportunity to praise God, maybe it's because of our lack of knowledge of His Word which would translate into a lack of knowledge of who he is. So this particular song begins with personal praise. And yet we want to make certain that this canticle is not about worshiping Mary. That this is not a way of exalting her above the one to whom she is carrying. Because we see that the song quickly turns now, what is the object? of all praise. And it's clearly not Mary, and Mary doesn't think that. Elizabeth does not think that. And so let's take a closer look in verses 49 through 53 at the, the object of praise. And that kind of makes up the, the body of this greater song of praise. So as you look at verses 49 and 50, you'll notice that the song turns our attention to God's attributes. In other words, it turns us to reflect on what is God's character. And so as you look closely at verse 49, and we were singing about this, it says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. That when you speak of God's character, you speak of his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. And who would better understand that at this point in her life to say God is all-powerful? He can do what man cannot do. And how even in our own thoughts we should take language like this that once again comes even out of the book of Exodus when God delivered his people out of Egypt. He was reminding them, I am a mighty God. You can't do this, but, but I can. And I can't help but think that Mary is rehearsing a lot of this as she finds herself offering 
this song of praise, but making sure it's directed to none other than the mighty God. Notice it goes on and says in verse 49, not only is he the mighty one, uh, but his attribute of holiness. Holiness is a, an attribute that often summarizes all that God is. He's holy. He, he's set apart. He, he's above all of creation. And so the object of our praise is focused here on his attributes, his holiness, the fact that he is the mighty one. But there's one other attribute in verse 50. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. We got on the subject of his mercy the other uh, month when we were talking at the uh, PBF time. We were talking about how the church is a family. And that concept grows out of the Old Testament word hased for mercy. God's covenant faithfulness and loyalty. Mary knew she was not perfect. She was not selected because she was perfect. God's grace and favor was on her. And therefore, she does display righteousness and holiness. But she was not picked because she was perfect or she had done something to acquire this honor. And so as you look at this, she says that, that he is a God of mercy. That throughout generations, those who fear him, those who respond to him in worship and reverence, he will never abandon. He will never not fulfill his promises to those whom he has called, to those whom he has loved. And yet often in our praise of God, we seem to focus more on the second aspect that Mary brings into here, and that is the actions of God. Now, the actions of God grow out of his attributes, but maybe we would do well to not just focus on what actions God has done in our life, but to back up beyond that to look at his attributes. But you'll see in verses 51 through 53, Mary's song moving from attributes now says, what are the actions of God that, that are worthy of praise, that are the object of praise? And once again, you see in this, like you should see in every worship service, the speaker, those who lead in music, should fade into the background here. That, that as Mary speaks, you, you almost want to picture her kind of like fading into the background. And all you see and hear in this canticle is how great God is. His attributes, but now his actions and so if you look at verses 51 through 53, there's, there's six verbs that are thrown in there to display God's actions. Almost as if you're doing it rapidly because you could take all day going over his actions. But notice in verse 51, first verb, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Reference to his, his power, his authority. So he's performed mighty deeds. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Luke does something very interesting in his gospel that when he speaks of Herod, he will refer to him as King Herod in the first two chapters. 
But after Jesus is born, Luke never again refers to King Herod. He simply refers to Herod. In other words, I think it's a subtle way of saying, you know what, Herod may have the position, but he doesn't have the title. Because there's only one king, and that's not Herod. Because he is the mighty one. He is the one who, as it says here in verse 51, he scatters those who oppose him, who are proud and arrogant. But then you notice in verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Isn't that what Mary started to say? I am just a humble servant of the Lord. Isn't that what Elizabeth says? I am a humble servant of yours. Those are the ones that God lifts up and uses. But those who feel they do not need God are the ones who will be scattered and brought down. And then finally, in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This will be very similar when Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7 is giving the Beatitudes, these qualities, characteristics of life in the kingdom. And he basically says, blessed are those who are hungry. Not, not physically hungry, but those who have a hunger and desire for him because they will be the ones that will be filled. Not those who feel they can satisfy themselves with everything but God. So what a frame of mind to put this hymn of praise in that has personal elements that relate to the, the very unique experiences of, of Mary and Elizabeth, but then move and open up to the object of all praise. But sadly, when we often look at this Magnificat, as well as any of the other songs in Luke's Gospel, we often fail to see, see the connection that there are songs too in Christ. Because notice how Mary concludes her song in verse 54 and 55. She comes back to corporate praise now. This isn't just about my personal experiences. It's not just about Israel's history but it comes back to everybody. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. It turns back now to corporate praise. We can all join in this song if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Because notice verse 54, she proclaims in a corporate sense God's faithfulness to all of us. He has helped, literally he has grasped. He, he has held on to you, maybe even at times when you were trying to push him away. He has grasped you and helped his servant Israel. The word servant there is, is not the word necessarily for slave, but it's a more affectionate term, child. That, that you are like a child. And, and God's protective love and care and concern for you in Christ should give you a part in this hymn of praise. But then notice in verse 55, 
This points us to the new covenant established in Christ because she mentions this is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and his descendants forever. So I want you to do me a favor. Look closely at verse 55. If you need to, like, pick it up, bring it right up to your face. Can you see your name there? You should be able to. Because doesn't Paul tell us that we're children of Abraham in Christ? That we are of Abraham's seed through the covenant of faith made with Abraham, fulfilled and completed now in Christ. So much so that the apostle Peter will say and use titles given to Israel and now ascribe them to us as believers, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a peculiar, a unique people to God to declare his praises. In other words, this is a unique song. It does magnify and glorify God. And it is unique to Mary. And it is unique to Elizabeth in parts. But it's also not just their song. It's our song in Christ. And so therefore, Advent is all about a call to praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I hope in the midst of listening to some of your favorite Christmas songs or hymns this week, that maybe this one will be added to your list. Let's pray. Most gracious God, thank you for these words in Scripture written down so that we can not just read them once, but that we can go over and over them again. Because many times in life, we don't feel like celebrating. We feel hopeless. We are struggling. May this song not just be something we read and say that's Mary's song, but we'd be able to read it and say it's our song as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.